So this morning I want to share with you, <clears throat> it says 11 here, but uh, there's a bonus one, so it's actually going to be 12. I did the, the opening slide first, then I did my talk, and by the time I was finished there were 12. So uh, milestones, I, I wrestled with what I would call these, and I don't think milestones really does justice to what I want to talk about this morning, because milestones imply that you have reached a certain point and now you've accomplished something and now you're moving on to the next thing. But that's not at all, not at all what I'm talking about this morning. And I think I tend to use maybe treasures instead, 12 treasures. I have a box of treasures I want to share with you this morning. And I want to lay them out on the table. And it's my hope that you'll be able to take one of these more is, is great, but at least one of these treasures home with you and apply it into your life uh, this Sunday. And what I found in the course of my life is that these are all things that I knew, and it's not, it, but I, I didn't recognize the enormous value of them. It, it's so often the case, even in, uh, what is it called, antique road shows. People bring in stuff that I would just take to the thrift store. I am not interested because I just did not know enough about those things to see the value that they have. And it was the same with me. For so much of my life, these things that I've known all my life, there had to reach a point in my life when I be would begin to see the value in, in these, what previously just been facts and doctrines and teachings. And the other thing about these 12 things I want to share is each of these are, have had a very significant impact on my life, on my spiritual life, my relationship with God. Very significant, life-changing. So um, I want to share these with you and uh, with my prayer that you will take one of these things home with you today. The first and foremost, I mean, this, this is, without this, you're not even going to start. It's, you're, you're not even getting off the, the starting line. And it is the need for a spiritual birth. Um, what I mean by that is to put your faith in, to believe in, to put your trust in Jesus Christ totally. No terms, nothing held back. He is our only hope. He is the reason we exist. He is, he is the creator of the cosmos and of each one of us. He is the only salvation there is. There is no other salvation for us. Without him, you have nothing. Now, I know you still got your, maybe your smartphones in your car or whatever it is that you might have material possessions. But for me, without God, without Jesus Christ, all those other things would become utterly meaningless and empty. Without him, we have nothing. And the thing is, is that I watched a lot of videos, YouTube videos this past couple of years on people who've abandoned their faith. Evangelical Christians have just tossed it. And as I watched, there was a couple of factors that I, several, a lot of factors actually, but one of them was is that none of them seemed to, <clears throat> well, a lot of them maybe had, had prayed a prayer but had never had any faith. They didn't, it's not a prayer that saves you. It's faith. It's a complete childlike trust in Jesus Christ for who he is. For thousands of years it's been prophesied before he came that God himself would one day be born into humanity as a little boy. And he, all the sins and the demands of justice for human history would be laid on him. He would die and he would rise again utterly, completely satisfying the demands of justice and shame and fear that are associated with the things we've done, and instead, so that he could then satisfy the demands of flawless, perfect love and honor. It's very simple. I was a boy, small boy, when I did this, but I thought a lot about it before I took the step because my mother told me that the day I asked Jesus Christ to come into my life and I gave myself to him, I would belong to him forever. Even more belong to him than I would to my parents. Now, I would still belong to my parents, she assured me, but I would really belong to God. Very serious decision. Your whole eternal destiny hinges on this. And a lot of people think they're Christians because they've gone to church all their life, they're in a social group. And um, no. 
It's the real question is, have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. No one who believes, or the one, actually, the one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? He's using the term die in two different ways here. Eternal life can actually start in this life right now. I've been involved in it for a long time, but it's internal. It's eternal life of the soul. There's part of me that no longer ages. Not the body, unfortunately, <laughs> it is aging. But another part of me stopped. Well, this doesn't grow older anymore. And that occurred the day I became spiritually reborn. And many of us here, many of us here know what I'm talking about. And he said this to a woman of ill repute, probably one of the worst reputations in her town. And uh, it's, it was true for her, it's true for all of us. What I'd like to do at each of these 12 jewels or treasures I want to share with you is pause at the end of each one for a time of prayer. So let's just pause. And this is if you truly want to put your faith in Jesus Christ, you, you do want to take that step. If not, you're ready, take this home with you and, and think about it and, and make that step when you're ready. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for my sin and rose again to give me the gift of eternal life. You are my Lord, my King, and my Savior. I give myself to you forever. Make me the kind of person that you created me to be. Amen. The second treasure I want to share with you is that is, is, is to know that you are loved by God with a love that's so powerful and so overwhelming that if he were to reveal it to you, if he were to unleash his love for you as an individual in, right now, you could not even function. You couldn't, you couldn't do things. You couldn't hardly think. You'd be just so utterly overwhelmed. I experienced it for only a few seconds, maybe 15, 20 years ago. And it, it, was, it was wonderful, but I could not function if that was all the time. Could not function. It was orders of magnitude beyond anything I've ever experienced. And I've experienced the love of lots of family and wife and children. This is orders of magnitude greater. And you know what? It's yours. He loves you without reserve, no conditions. Jesus said in his prayers the night before his crucifixion, he said this. He wanted, he asked the Father that the world would know that the Father has sent him, that you have sent me, he said, and love them even as you have loved me. Think about that for a second. In the triune God, Jesus said he who has seen me has seen the Father. It says that all the fullness of deity dwells in him in bodily form. Jesus is the way God represents himself in this world. But he's a triune being, an idea that we would have never thought up on our own. That's one of the marks of authenticity, is that the concept of God is greater than what human humanity can explain and understand. But within that triune being, there exists a love. You are looking at the origin of love. That's where it dwells, that's where it comes from. And that degree of strength is the same degree of strength that he says he wants the world to know that he loves you if you've put your faith in him. You belong to him, you've become a child of God. And it's got nothing to do with whether you're sin and how much, how many pile. If I were to publish in book form all the sins I've committed, great and small, in a pile of books, You'd be a pretty big pile, I'm pretty sure, on this stage. That's utterly irrelevant. All the things that you have done in your life, utterly irrelevant for his love for you. And someday, in the resurrection, if you put your faith in Christ, you will be raised immortal and indestructible with a body like you have never imagined. And you will be able to handle the full unleashed power of God's love. And it will be utterly the most wonderful time in your life, and it'll go on forever. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. And for me as a boy, I was afraid of God. I was afraid to put my faith in him until one night I was laying in bed, because as a farm boy, you see death, and it's the worst thing. 
that could happen to you. And I thought about that. What if I die? And then it occurred to me one night, because I was afraid, I was afraid to belong to God. If he loved me, if God himself loved me enough to become a human being and, t- and die for me, then I could trust him. And at that point, I prayed that prayer similar to what we prayed just earlier here. There is no greater way God can demonstrate his love to us than what he did. So let's pause again and have a moment of prayer. My Heavenly Father, you have said that you love me even as you love the Son of God, and you love me unconditionally. Please help me to experience your love to the degree that you desire me to know in this life. I ask this in the name of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The third treasure I want to share with you that has um, made a huge difference. In fact, this, the first one that I shared with you is the starting point. That's, that's where we start. But of all the other things I'm sharing with you this morning, I was asked last night when, by someone else who can't be here this morning because they're somewhere else, what, what one milestone is. If I had to only share one, this would be it. So one morning, and, I, and some of these things I've shared with you before, okay? Um, but today you're getting 12 treasures all in a box. Choose which one you want. So one more, I love, I love serving God. I just love God. I love to serve him. And I often pray, Lord, please help me to serve you today as you desire me to serve you. And one particular morning, I was, I, I was it was before breakfast, as I recall, and I, and I began to pray that prayer. Lord, please help me to serve you today as you desire me to serve you. But I only got to the serve you bit when suddenly my mind was pierced by a single sentence. It just interrupted my thoughts, totally overrode and dominated my mind. I'd have to say, I'd have to say that it was, uh, I could only say it was a message from God. It was a single sentence. So as I began to say, serve you, the pierce of my mind came and a sentence erupted in my mind and it said, no, not serve, love. Oh, I thought to myself, like, first of all, I was staggered by the intensity and power of that single command or single reprimand, really. And I immediately remembered that Jesus said, he said this, that the greatest and the foremost thing we can ever do is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. And there's actually a definite article in front of when he said it was the great and foremost command. It's the greatest thing you can ever do. It's the highest priority we ought ever to have. And it just hit me, yeah, that's true. Love him. And then something else occurred at that moment, all within a period of about 30 to 40 seconds after my mind, my prayer had been interrupted. And it was this. I had assumed that I knew or understood what Jesus meant when he said, love me with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. But I thought, wow, like, how naive. How naive could I be that I would assume that I knew what Jesus fully meant when he said to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind? I began to suspect that I had no clue as to the full extent of what he actually meant, so I immediately turned to God. And I began to pray a prayer that I pray to this day, and it has made a huge and unbelievable, it's made a change in my life. But I just simply began to pray the prayer we're going to pray here. But it's basically, take me to that place where I truly love you in the way that you actually meant when you said this great and foremost command. Changes began to happen immediately. You know how Jesus says, if you love me, will you keep my commands? It's, if you love me, the command, keeping of commands automatically follow. And I found myself changing in a way such that I began to live and think and see things all in a way that just automatically began to start to fall into place with what God desires of me. Doesn't mean I never fall short of the glory of God. <laughs> Doesn't mean that, but I would have to say there were changes that occurred in my life that I never dreamed of once I began to make the soul, the primary focus of my relationship with God to ask him to bring me to that place. So I'll pause again 
and let's pray a prayer. And if this is the treasure you take home today, you will, you will see changes. Let's pray. My Heavenly Father, I ask that you will bring me to the place where I love you to the full extent of what you actually meant when you said to love you with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind. Remind me daily to look to you to accomplish this in my life. I ask this in the name of my beloved Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. The fourth treasure I want to share with you is to begin to ask God for a beautiful mind. Um, I, sometime in my late 40s, early 50s, I, I began, well, I began to suspect that all the pain and suffering that we see in this world affects us. And it can bring, it can make our world darker. And it can weigh us down. And it can defile even my mind. Just the evil and the pain and the suffering I've seen and, and, and the grief. And I've been places and I've seen stuff that um, just haunt me that I can't really share with people without just having a rough time. So, around in my late 40s, early 50s, I realized <clears throat> this is not good. My world is getting darker. My very mind has been defiled by all the evil I've seen in this world. This can't be the way God desires us to live if we've been truly spiritually reborn. This cannot be it. I need to be rescued. My mind needs to be rescued. I have spent, up to that point, 40-some-odd years seeing things and getting darker and darker in my head. It's time for a change. I want the rest of my life to God, for God to work within me to give me a beautiful mind. So I right there began to pray, and I pray to this day, Father, take me on this road. Give me a beautiful mind. I want a beautiful mind. For the remainder of my life, I want you to work within me to give me a beautiful mind. There's a few passages that I find just golden in this area. One of them is this, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. And I'll tell you recently, it just gets worse when you look around and what's going on. And uh, that can take you down, it can take me down. But I have found the secret is not like, like when Peter was asked by Jesus to come and walk on the water in the middle of some pretty big waves, Peter was doing fine as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus, but the moment he started looking at the waves, he started going down. And I find for, as a Christian, at least for myself, I can start going down when I just focus on the things that are going on in this world. So I do watch the news, I do keep in mind every day, but around noon or one o'clock at the latest, that's it for the day. No more news until tomorrow. Because I really don't, I really want my focus to be on Jesus Christ. I want to look up above the world and see that, and Jesus, he said, he said that wickedness will increase before he returns. It's going to get ugly. And, but, but, we need to look beyond the wickedness, beyond the ugliness, to the one who presides over history, the orchestrator of history itself, the king of kings, he's coming back. And I constantly have to lift my eyes above what I'm seeing in the world and look to the, our, our redeemer. God himself is coming back. I suspect he'll have a new name because it's prophesied. His name when he returns will be Amenu Al. Imanu is Hebrew for with us. El is the Hebrew word, or one of the Hebrew words for God. God with us. He's not coming this next time as a babe in a manger. He's coming as the Almighty God. And when he comes, it says that the peoples of the world will flee into those who do not belong to him, will beg the mountains to fall on them, to shield them from the glory of God. It's not babe in a manger anymore. We, we, he is coming. And so there's hope. And when he comes, he is the origin of everything that is good. He is the origin of beauty and love and honor and music and art and every good thing justice. So, 
This is another one of my favorite passages. Brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. These are part of having a beautiful mind, but I had known that verse for years, and I tried you know, to focus on these things, but things really started to change when I began to intentionally ask God to give me a beautiful mind. So let's pause for another prayer. Father, the things that are happening in this world, even at this moment as we pray, cause us to deeply grieve day after day. They weigh heavily on us, and it's easy for my personal world to get darker and darker. Please give me a beautiful mind in your sight, day after day. Take me on that road that goes ever higher up and further in toward a glorious eternity. I ask this in the name of my King, Jesus Christ. Amen. The fifth treasure I want to lay out on the table here for you to consider to take home with you today is to spend time with God each day. So when I was about eight and a half, I was, uh, it was about the end of the day, and my mother said uh, that she, she told me, I think you're old enough to have devotions now. Well, I didn't even know what devotions were, but I figured, I guess, when you get to be about eight and a half, you know, everybody has to do this, whatever it is. So she explained to me what devotions were, and, and um, she said, before you go to bed at night, when you're all ready for bed, and just before you turn out the lights, spend a little time with God. Now, nowadays, I, it's at the front end of my day, not at the back end. But for many years, the back end, when you're a kid, is probably, at least for me, it was certainly better because at the morning of the day, I've got all kinds of things I'm excited to do, and I'm very distracted. But at the end of the day, there's nothing ahead of me but turning out the light. And I found this was a golden time for me. So you just, she said, talk to God for a few minutes. Confess your sins. If there's any to confess, well, you should have confessed them earlier in the day. But... Confess any sins that need to be confessed. If there's people you're praying for, bring them to the Lord. And if there's things you're worrying about, bring those to the, that to God as well. And then ask Him to teach you from the Bible. And so then she said, then you read a little passage in the Bible. It doesn't have to be long, but the important thing is you get one thing from it. And then she gave me a little scribbler. She says, and write it in your journal. And she gave me a little coil-bound notebook. And I started to do that when I was eight and a half, and I've continued to this day, and it has had, there's no, often not, almost never is there a noticeable change in one session with God, but the cumulative effect is massive, massive. It's how you get to know God through His Word. It's one of the main ways. I like this. There was a song in the 70s, and I don't hear much anymore, but it was from this psalm here. We used to sing it in youth group. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. And then my favorite, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. I love spending time with God on a daily basis, even if it's Numbers and Deuteronomy. There's gold in those books. Uh, they foreshadow the new covenant. There's so much you can gain in knowledge and understanding of the new covenant by studying Numbers and Deuteronomy as the foreshadowing of different things in the new covenant. But I digress. Let's have a little prayer here. Let's pause and pray. Father, help me to start a daily practice of spending time with you. Each day, weave your word into my mind and every part of my being. Bring me to a place in my life where those times become wonderful, rich, and deeply fulfilling. I ask this in the name of my Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Treasure number six, practice continual thanksgiving. Of all the things that, <clears throat> uh, that I, well, basically, I have found that thanking God for specific daily things has been the most, has been the secret, at least for me, to actually experiencing the presence of God in an almost tangible way. Uh, so powerful that almost you feel the presence of God. And at least for me, it's been through thanking Him 
for the many gifts he sets before me, and I have spoken of this before here. So I'm not talking just about the big things, because those don't occur as often. I'm talking about the little things, constantly throughout the day. We have double campernails blooming along the fence right now. I love those. They're just, they just make me thank God for them. There's so many little things throughout the day that make me happy. And this is what you need to do. What is it? Whenever you find that you're happy, even if it's only for a few seconds or a minute, stop. What is it that's made me happy here? Because God is the origin of every good thing and every perfect gift. Turn to God and thank him for that little thing. And what I have found is that it just seems that the presence of God just comes and he puts his arm around me and I just feel him and me enjoying those double camper, double camper nail flowers together or whatever it might be, the call of the cardinals right now. There's just so many beautiful and good things. It could be something you've seen another person do. It could be a piece of music that moves you to, uh, you can't even describe. Thank God for that. He is the origin of music. It's been uh, just a massive door opener to experiencing the presence of God in my life. God says, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. I cannot <clears throat> highlight enough that, that treasure number six, thanking God for the little things. Let's pause for a moment of prayer. My Heavenly Father, I cannot begin to recount the countless ways great and small, that you have expressed your love and care for me on a daily basis. Open my eyes to the many ways you bless me throughout each day, especially the small things, and remind me to express my joy to you in thanksgiving in those moments. Help me to make this a lifelong practice of joy. In Jesus' name I ask this. Amen. Treasure number seven, Christian fellowship. When I finished my undergraduate at university in engineering, I moved to Montreal to take a job uh, there. I didn't know a soul in the city. Company put me up in a Holiday Inn hotel uh, until I could find an apartment. And so each day I'd go to work, I'd come, home, come back to the hotel room and sit and stare at the wall. They didn't have internet back then, no social media, a lot less uh, to distract yourself with. And after a few days, I realized, man, I, I need to get together with other Christians. I, because I'm a singular relational person, I like, I like being alone. I really value solitude. Um, I, I find it awkward to meet people I don't know, or at least to go and take the initiative to talk to them. That's just really hard. Um, and I thought that I was kind of like an island or a rock. I don't need that much Christian fellowship. Well, I was badly mistaken. Never, you don't know what you have until you don't have it anymore. And when I didn't have Christian fellowship, that's when I realized how good it is for believers to get together. And uh, before I had left there, my mother told me about an old pastor who had been a pastor when I was a kid. He'd left, he'd moved uh, to another pastorate uh, probably in my early teens. And that's the only contact I had in Montreal. And you know how awkward it is to phone somebody you never really knew that your parents know who's way older than you and say, hey, I'm like, I'm so-and-so's kid and I moved here and, you know, do you have a church? <laughs> but I did. And oh, man, it was good. It was good to get back together with other Christians. You know what? Here's what God says about this. He said, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day drawing near, what day is he talking about? Well, if you read that in its context, he's talking about the return of the king, the return of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, the king of kings. But he said before he returns, it's going to get ugly and wickedness will increase. It'll be the worst time in human history. And you know, I've seen so many people, I mean, I just saw some stats this week of fewer and fewer and fewer people attending church and getting together. 
Now, maybe it's because they're not actually spiritually reborn, and I would say that is the first priority. But we need, even more than ever before in church history, because we're closer to the return of the king, we need now, more than ever, it says, all the more as you see the day drawing near. We need to get together. We need to encourage one another. There's another passage in Hebrews that says this, take care, brethren, and when he uses the word brethren, and I looked at all the ways he uses the word brethren in the New Testament, he's talking about believers here. Take care, brethren, that not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Encouragement was in this passage and the one we just looked at before. We need the encouragement that comes with just meeting with other people who are spiritually alive and have eternal life. We need that. I need it. I am not a rock. I am not an island. I need encouragement, and I need to encourage other people. It's not just I get the encouragement. It's we need to encourage other people as well. Let's pause for a moment of prayer. Father, I ask that you would strengthen my commitment and my desire to fellowship with and worship with other believers each Sunday. Help me to be an encouragement to my brothers and sisters in Christ. In his name I pray, amen. Treasure number eight, daily look forward to the return of the king. Our purpose in this world is not to live as long as we can and to have a proper, prosperous and happy life. That's not the purpose of life. I sadly think that for many people, in fact, a survey was done uh, some years ago and I saw it and I wish I had the reference still. It's on my computer somewhere, but over the years, the, it becomes a nightmare. That's a one terabyte drive in there and you start searching through one terabyte of data on manually to find something you put there like a decade ago Good luck with that. But the results of the survey was this. The question was, what is the purpose of God? The number one answer by far was to make me happy. Wow. Like, oh. <laughs> well, in it, indirectly, the, the most extreme happiness and joy and every good thing is from God. But that's not what's going to happen in this world because there's a lot of stuff we have to go through. There's the refining fire of God. So our job here in this life, our job, not to be confused with why you exist, that is found in the great and foremost command. But our, our mission here is to prepare to meet God and help others do the same. That's our mission. And some people are ready at a very young age, and they go to be with the Lord. It would be unfair to leave them here. And many of us know what I'm talking about. They are ready. Other of us, either we're not ready or we have a lot of work to do in this life. And so I'm still here. But my job is to prepare for eternity. And there is nothing more glorious than when the king returns to this world. He will put a complete and utter end to wickedness. And I'll, uh, words cannot describe what it'll be like when he returns. But we need to have that perspective. We need to lift our eyes up beyond what we're seeing in the news and what we see in our personal lives and the lives of our personal friends and family. We, need, we still need to look above that and know that there is a king and he is coming back. It's interesting that Jesus, when he was asked to teach his people how to pray, he gave us the Lord's Prayer as kind of like a template or an example. And one of the things he said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, as it is in heaven. And when he taught his disciples to pray, the kingdom of God, he says, was already among you. That is, there are people here right in this room who regard Jesus Christ as the king of kings. He's already my king. But in another sense, there's going to be a physical culmination and completion of the kingdom of God in this world when Christ returns. And he wants us to look forward to that and pray for it. Another place it says in the Bible, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Again, our, we have a king and he is coming and that makes a huge difference with what's going on in the world today. Let's pause for prayer. Oh Lord God, 
there is only one true ruler of humanity. There is only one king of kings. God, we have made such a mess of this world. Please bring an end to human rule. Please send Jesus. You can finish the prayer. <clears throat> Treasure number nine. Practice daily total surrender to Christ. And I've talked about this before, but we'll talk about it again. What I mean by that is kind of described here. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and lose or forfeit the very self? But the question is, what does this mean? What did he talk about here? And as I listened to all those YouTube videos of people who tossed their faith, one thing was clear, another thing among many that was clear is that we cannot, we cannot sort of serve Christ, sort of follow Christ, and also sort of not. That is a horrible way to try and live the Christian life. It is so, so unfulfilling and frustrating. He says, what he's saying here, it's got to be all in. Nothing held back, all in. Um, so, again, we're not here to live a prolonged and prosperous life, to survive at all costs. That's not why we're here. We're here to prepare to meet God and help others do the same, and that means he's asked us, he's asked us to be all in in following him. Everything to him, nothing held back, no terms, no conditions. And I find this is not one thing. If it was only, you only did this once, like sign a contract, you're in, and then you don't have to worry about being all in. No, it's a daily thing. So let's pause again for a moment of prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, here I am. I place myself completely and totally in your hands. I hold absolutely nothing back. I have no terms whatsoever. If there is any area in my life that I have withheld, even unknowingly, I ask that you will invade that area right now and change me in any way you desire. Help me to practice total surrender to you each day. I love you, my Lord God. I need you. And in the name of my beloved Savior and Redeemer, I pray, amen. Number 10, see yourself as a servant. I have found that there's enormous freedom in forgetting about your personal rights, your rank somewhere, your rank in the church or in the company or in the neighborhood or your position, just forget it. Let God take care of those things. He is our vindicator and our defender. Instead, we are here to serve God and other peoples in the way that he's gifted each one of us individually to serve him. That's so freeing. I, one of my favorite verses is this one here, and I've, I've had it for decades. A person can receive nothing unless it be given to them from God. So why fight for these things? Why work so hard for rank and position and rights? We have a defender, you know, and he's it's a supernatural defender. God himself. Just serve him. Get on with the job. Jesus also said in another verse, whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. And then he points to himself as the example, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. This is God himself stepped into the world, and he didn't come to be served. He came to serve, to do, to accomplish his mission which was to redeem humanity from shame, dishonor, 
from spiritual death to give his life in a full exchange and the full demands of justice for ourselves. That's why he came the first time. Second time he comes to rescue. So let's pause for a moment of prayer. My Father, you are my vindicator and my defender, not me. Please help me to serve you and your people in the way that you desire me to serve. Help me to see people in the way that you desire me to see them. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. That second last sentence, help me to see people in the way you desire me to see them, that is almost another golden jewel, a jewel to lay out before you, but I thought I would work it into here. That, I need that. I need that. There is so, it's so easy to see and judge and, and just have an attitude towards people that it's so mm, human. And that's not what God wants for us. I hate that in myself. I hate it in myself that I tend to see people the way I humanly tend to see them, and it's not all good. Rather, I started praying. When I started to pray, God, help me to see people the way you want me to see them. That began to change how I see people. So let's move on to the second last one. Ask God to strengthen your faith to where he desires it to be at this point in your life. So, I don't know, a few decades ago, I mean, I've seen that since I was a kid. Jesus says, if you had faith as a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea and it would be done. And he was talking about miracles as if anybody can do these. Anybody, if they had faith as a mustard seed. And I looked at myself, <laughs> it was wow, like I don't even think my faith is the size of a mustard seed. And so I began to pray a few decades back, God, give me the kind of faith that's the, at least the size of a mustard seed and that could move trees. No, I didn't literally want to move trees, although there has been a few occasions in landscaping I would really like to do that. But what I really meant was that I could have the kind of faith that he was talking about when he said, you need faith at least, you know, you, you want your faith to be at least the size of a mustard seed. So I would pray on a, on a regular occasion, God, give me the kind of faith that you talked about when you were talking about moving trees and mustard seeds and moving mountains. One morning I was praying that very prayer in my backyard, it was a summer morning, when again I was interrupted by a piercing through my mind, an interruption that just overwhelmed and interrupted my prayer by a single sentence, and the sentence was this, to whom much is entrusted, much will be required. Scared to live in daylight, sort of me. I quit praying that prayer for years, for years, literally. I, I just, uh, in my mind, I could see cars lined up all the way out our driveway and down the road of people wanting to come and get healed, and I, I don't want that. I, I love solitude. I, I, wow, like... What did I have been asking for? Maybe I've been asking, so I quit, but it bothered me that I had quit. It bothered me. And then recently, and actually it was only maybe, I was only about, oh, I don't know, a month ago? A month ago I discovered the true value of this 11th piece of treasure. And I really realized, wait a sec, God knows how much I can handle of what he gives to me. I, I don't want to ask for more than what he has, what I'm able to handle at this stage in my life. But I want what I am able to handle, what he knows I can handle. So for the first time, I began to pray, and I continue now, it's been a month, I asked him to, I asked him to give me the, the kind of faith that he desires me to have, the level of faith, the strength of faith he desires me to have at this point in my life, at this point in my relationship with God, this point in my spiritual maturity, I want the full deal for what he's equipped me to handle. And uh, oddly, I saw an, a very significant impact of that prayer within, within, a, within a week. And it wasn't like you, what you might think. What I had thought is that if God strengthens my faith, I'll feel 
somehow uh, a greater confidence in, in praying about greater and more amazing things, that sort of thing. Well, that didn't happen. What did happen instead is that over the next few weeks, God began, I went through a refiner's fire. Let's put it that way. And it was probably, I think, the hardest refiner's fire I've yet gone through yet. What he showed me was all the other things in my life and in the world around me that I had put my confidence in, my, my sense of well-being was contingent upon, and uh, he just obliterated those somehow. And wow, it just left me reeling and staggering to have everything else in this world, everything that I had depended upon to help me be happy and fulfilled and stuff in addition to God. And uh, it, it, was, it was terrible, really. It was terrible. Um, but at the same time, I'm now coming out of that. And what I realized is that I, do, I couldn't do landscape photography anymore. I like that. I like it's just one of those things. But now I I'm starting to resurrect that. But it's not everything. It's not that he took away all of those things. It's that now those things only have meaning or they, they really have meaning within uh, the context of really trusting God ultimately for my happiness and well-being. So I can now go back and do landscape photography, but I do it with God. He's with me. And it's, my happiness comes from Him not doing landscape photography. My happiness does not come from my relationships with people I dearly love, although I, there's no limit to the value that they have. But now I realize, no, my, my well-being is not contingent upon my relationship with others, but my relationship with God first and foremost, and then He makes my relationship with others so really fulfilling, really beyond what I had previously. So I don't know how to explain it, but if you are feeling ready for a dangerous prayer, let's pause and pray it. My Lord and my God, you know the kind of faith you desire me to have at this point in my life, and I ask that you would strengthen my faith to the level you desire me to have at this point. In the name of Jesus Christ, I ask this. Amen. The last treasure. And this one is, has actually been since the last month, but it's, I, think, I think I've stumbled on something here. It's to ask God to make you more sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit and to understand what he's trying to tell you. Now, I have actually prayed that God would make me more sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit for a number of years now. I think that's very important. But the constant problem I have is, is this my imagination or not? Uh, how do I know this is God speaking to me? It could be, you know, wishful thinking. And uh, even though I've told you that uh, there have been occasions in my life where my, I was suddenly interrupted by a piercing, overwhelming sentence that just had to be from God, the truth of the matter is, is that I have been a believer for about 64 years now, and I say maybe only six times have, has God spoken to me in that overwhelming, interrupt your thoughts, just override everything, in such a way that just, wow, that's less than once every 10 years. Now, I'd have to admit, it's not something I would look forward to. Those times have always been hard. Like they're, you know, when that happens, there's big, big stuff that, that needs to be done about what was just that sentence that I just heard or saw or felt in my mind. But um, so the bottom line is, is that how in the world do we sense and know what God is trying to lead us to do on a daily basis? Okay, look at this one. Hear now my words. If there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. With him I speak mouth to mouth, even openly, not in dark sayings. Note that phrase, dark sayings. That's kind of goes with how he speaks to when he, well, when he's talking to a prophet through dreams and visions and dark sayings, and it's so often. Most of the time in my life, I haven't, I'm not even sure what God is leading or asking me to do or saying or, you know, as I said, we have, is this my imagination? 
the, that problem there. Why is it? Why is it that Jesus Christ spoke in parables? Well, he told us. To those who belong to the kingdom of God, he's given them to understand what these things, but to the rest, even what they have is taken away. Why does he speak so softly by the voice of the Spirit? Look at this in John 16. It says, when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and disclose it to you. And that's what the Holy Spirit does in our life if we have become spiritually reborn. But so quietly, so softly. So here's another one. Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. And he said this to the Corinthian believers, uh, Gentile and Jewish Christians. And there's more references there if you're... But here's the problem. There is enormous danger of deception and of being misled by our own imagination and wishful thinking, not to mention the voice of the enemy. So what is the solution? And I have to say, you know, I, in university I went to different churches and one, two years I went to a church that's known more as very charis as charismatic and, you know, a lot of things quite different from this one. And uh, I didn't find it there. I didn't find it there. And then that was back when I was in my early 20s. And then even as I attended Woodside here about 15 to 20 years ago, I still was wrestling, how can I hear the voice of God better? How do I know what he's trying to say to me? And somebody suggested, what about that prophetic conference down in South Carolina? I went down there. And it was, <clears throat> it was definitely different from a Woodside service. And I signed up for everything because I was there in case God had something to reveal to me. But I kind of sum it up by something that happened behind me one night before the main session was starting to the conference organizers behind me, and they were talking amongst themselves, but I overheard them. And one said to the other, he says, you know, 90% of what happens here is wishful thinking. It's people trying to help out the Holy Spirit. And when I left the conference, I realized... I have not found this here. There doesn't seem to be a shortcut to hearing, to understanding what God is trying to say to me. But then more recently, it occurred to me, here's what I will do, and I'll tell you, I really feel good about this prayer here. I'm going to ask God. I'm going to ask God this, and let's pause a moment, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your Holy Spirit who dwells within each person who's put their faith in Christ. I ask that you will make me more sensitive to the voice and the guiding of your spirit and that you will help me to understand what you're trying to say to me through the Holy Spirit, untainted by my imagination or wishful thinking. Father, also of all the things we've talked about this morning, show me what the next step in my life is. I pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.